0: Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Thank you. Uh, Hallelujah. I, your name right I want to welcome you all to our Air of Yom Kippur service. I want to welcome all those who are watching at home uh, uh, on our live stream as well. And I wanna apologize uh, for our technical difficulties. We didn't have any of the music slides uh, tonight, as you noticed. Uh, and so we're trying to work through these difficulties. We're still trying to figure out this uh, so-called pro-presenter computer system, and it's, uh, it's a tricky one. So thank you for bearing with us. All right, so uh, again, welcome you for our era of Yom Kippur service. Yom Kippur, this is the Day of Atonement. It is the holiest day of the year in the Jewish calendar. Uh, It's where we take stock of our lives. Uh, We examine our hearts, and we ask the Lord to show us and to convict us of our sin. Uh, And where we repent and turn from our sin, Uh, And and we thank the Lord for the forgiveness and the atonement through the blood of Yeshua, our Messiah, who is our ultimate Yom Kippur sin offering. Amen. Our sacrifice offering. And so tonight, in keeping with these themes, I want us to look at at what I'm calling the structure or the anatomy of sin. Uh, By examining a passage from the prophet Yerim Jeremiah. uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, and we have it on the overhead as well. Beginning in in verse 2. And Jeremiah says, uh, or the Lord says through Jeremiah, Go and proclaim, in the hearing of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. how, as a bride. You loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where's the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness? I brought you to a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests didn't ask, where's the Lord? Those who deal with the law, the Torah, didn't know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Therefore, I'll bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I'll bring charges against your children's children. Has a nation ever changed as gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged uh, their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens. And shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the... the, uh, spring of living water, and they've dug out their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is when you forsake the Lord your God, and you have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the God of the Lord Almighty. In this passage, our people, the people of Israel, are calling out and they're saying, what's wrong with us? Uh, why are things falling apart? Uh, what's wrong? What's, what's going on? And the Lord, through the prophet Jeremiah, says, let me tell you what's wrong with you. And in this passage, the Lord declares to Israel their faults uh, and, and discusses their sins, uh, the nature of sin, uh, the character of sin. And it's summarized in verse 19, Jeremiah 2, 19, Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is when you forsake the Lord, the Lord your God and have no awe of me. Now, there's three things we learn here in this passage about the nature of sin um, In the overhead. Uh, number one, sin is in essence denial. The Lord says in Jeremiah 2.19, consider uh, then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you. Do you know what this is? This is actually intervention type language. So let's say a friend's wife calls you up, and she says, you know, for years, he's been covering something up. Uh, There's destructive behavior in his life. He's been covering it up, uh, but it's come out now, and yet he still won't see it. Please come over, tell him what he's doing. So you go over, you hear the story, and how do you start to talk to your friend? What do you say? What's your language? You might say, can't you see? Don't you see what what you're doing to yourself? It's so clear, everybody else can see it. You're killing yourself. How can you do this? You don't get it, you have to see. That's how you talk. That's the language of intervention for a deluded loved one. And this is the language the Lord uses on us. He says, consider and realize. Consider, that means you're not thinking. Stop and consider what you're doing. Realize. That means you don't get it. Uh, You don't see what your problem is. You don't realize what's the source of the evil and bitterness in your life. What it is. You don't see it. You don't get it. This is the language of intervention. The language of pleading. This passage is in the overhead here. It's pointing out the root of our problems is this force field of denial. uh and sin always entails denial. And it's the denial of sin that's fatal because that prevents you from confessing and repenting and turning from it and turning to Yeshua, your Yom Kippur sin bearer. For example, it's not necessarily fatal uh, to be an alcoholic because, because you can recover. But it's fatal to be in denial about it because that blocks any possibility of recovery. Uh, And we know that there's something about the evil of alcoholism that puts out this force field of denial. And that's just a metaphor for the larger issue that God is talking about to us here. God's saying, there's evil and bitterness in your life. But the problem is, you won't admit that you're a sinner. Uh, He says, "You, you can turn from your sin, you can be saved, you can walk with me. But first and foremost, you must admit your sin. Even many Yeshua followers, even many of us believers refuse to admit our sin. What's fatal is to deny your sin. So the Lord's exhorting us, all of us, to consider and realize, especially on this day of atonement, we have turned from him. Uh, we, we, We do our own thing. We go our own way. Whether you're a Yeshua follower or not, we no longer today have the fear and the awe of the Lord that we once had. there's This force field of denial that emanates from sin. Back in the 1950s, there was this old radio show uh, called The Shadow, uh, about a man who learned how to cloud the minds of men around him so that they couldn't see him. And the overhead, that's what sin does. By its nature, sin entails denial. And you won't see the extent and the magnitude of your sin unless you allow the Holy Spirit to pierce through this shadow of darkness uh, and deceit and self-denial and reveal the the truth to you and to convict you. By nature, we must see that we are tremendously self-centered and therefore we're capable of all sorts of evil. uh, As we put ourselves above others, we make ourselves the center of the universe. Uh, At the end of the 19th century, uh, many of the great thinkers uh, and academics and philosophers and writers uh, in both America and Europe were getting rid of Christianity, uh, rid of Judeo-Christian biblical values, uh, rid of God, rid of religion, which they labeled as superstition and oppression and anti-intellectual. And they said, we've got to bring in an enlightened, rational approach to government uh, and fighting poverty uh, and to human flourishing, and urban planning and education, we're going to bring in a new age of prosperity and peace and brotherhood and enlightenment. We're we're going to bring a massive, we're going to bring in massive new taxes and government programs, and we're going to see an end to poverty in the twentieth century. This is what they wrote. We're going to see an end to all war. They wrote in the twentieth century. And almost all of of the liberal secular leaders of culture, and the arts, and and, and media, and academia, and the think tanks, and government, the so-called knowledge class, they all, almost all, said this. And now where are we? The 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history. Seeing the rise of fascism, socialism, communism, totalitarianism. What was the problem with all these leading thinkers? denial, denial of the sinful, selfish, fallen nature of man. But by the end of their lives, after years of disillusionment, they either went mad, like H.G. Wells, or became believers, like W.H. Auden. Uh, and there were these two intellectuals in particular who were the, at the foundation of, of the construction of the modern British social welfare state in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, they were, uh, Sydney and Beatrice Webb were their names. They rejected uh, the Christian faith of their upbringing. And in 1890, Beatrice Reb wrote this in her diary. We have it on the overhead. She wrote this in 1890. I stake everything on the essential goodness of human nature. Well, 35 years later, after World War I, uh, in her diary, she reflected on what she had written back in 1890. Uh, And then she wrote this on the overhead. She wrote, I realize now how permanent are the evil instincts and impulses in us that mere social machinery will never change? She, she had staked her whole life on the idea that social machinery, more laws, more government, more regulations, more programs, more funding, will eliminate poverty and violence and crime and discrimination because man is essentially good. But by the end of her life, she renounced it all, she renounced her socialism. Uh, She said, I now see, I now know how permanent are the evil instincts and impulses within all of us. She'd given her whole life to something that was a lie. If she'd read her Bible, she would have realized this, (laughs) that she was in denial. Uh, More recently, uh, just a few years back, there was a secular scholar named Ernest Becker who won a Pulitzer Prize for his writings. He wrote two books on evil. The first one was called The Structure of Evil. And in this book, he took the standard progressive uh, left view, uh, leftist view that the reason for, for poverty and war and violence is because the privileged—we're not on that overhead yet, by the way—is because the privileged uh, were oppressing everybody else through oppressive social structures. That was his, his his thesis, and therefore, new government programs are the way to deal with this evil: uh, more welfare, more education, more aid, more taxes, more laws, more regulations. That's the answer. And then he wrote. A second book, uh, uh, years later, called Escape from Evil, in which he he did a complete 180. Now he put that on the overhead. This is what he wrote in his second book. I'm now looking at humanity full in the face for the first time. In my previous works, I'd failed to see how truly vicious human behavior is. This is a dilemma that I and my fellow liberals have been caught up in we're trying to keep alive the Enlightenment view of the perfectibility of man, but you now see that humanity is evil calling. Requires some third alternative beyond bureaucratic social welfare programs and despair. Some third alternative. His whole life had been saying social science, uh, more government, uh, more programs, more bureaucracy, more legislation, a better schools, more government aid, more anti-poverty programs, more taxes, more regulations. This is what will deal with evil. But he says, after basing my whole life on this, now I see for the first time, this will not work. Man is too evil and there must be some third way. Jeremiah 2:19. Consider and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God. What's wrong with us uh, that we're in such denial about how evil we are by nature? Why? What's wrong with us? The Scripture is quite clear. This is what's wrong with us. It's called sin. That's point number one. Sin by its nature entails denial. Sin is denial that we're sinners. And some of you are in denial tonight. So for example, you may say, you believe in the law of God, you believe in the 10 commandments, but are you willing to apply them to your own hurt? I've heard people say, the laws of God are good most of the time, uh, but you have to be practical and realistic. If you're, for example, if you were honest all the time, you'd never make any money. <laughs> if you were sexually pure all the time, you'd never have any fun. Uh, the moral law is good, up to a point, but let's not be fanatical. If this is you, consider and realize you're in denial about how powerful sin is in your life. When you cut corners and compromise God's law, it shows you have no idea of the power of sin dwelling within you. You have no idea how pernicious and pathological and deceptive and deadly sin is. And so you say, well, I can play around with it uh, without getting burned. Uh, This is the gray area. Uh, I don't know if if it's really wrong. It doesn't seem wrong at the moment. Uh, Who knows even what's right and wrong? What the heck? How bad could this really be? Consider and realize if this is you, you're in denial. And you're grossly underestimating the power and the presence of sin in your life. Uh, some of you may be saying the opposite. Some of you may be saying, the Holy Spirit is convicting me tonight. Here's an area in my life where I admit I have a problem. Uh, it's a character flaw, and I know it. I keep repeating it. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's a sense of entitlement. Uh, maybe it's assuming uh, the worst of people. You, you have a critical spirit. Uh, maybe it's resentment and bitterness. Maybe it's judgmentalism or unforgiveness. Maybe it's gossip, or lying, or cheating, or swearing, or maybe it's pornography, uh, or addiction, or sexual sin, or pride, or greed, or rebellion, unbelief. Maybe it's impatience, and outburst of anger, uh, or self-centeredness, or fault-finding and, and mistrust. And you say, I can't seem to get a handle on this sin pattern in my life. Maybe I should tell somebody and ask for prayer. But then you say to yourself, no, no, don't tell anyone. I can handle it. Uh, Don't confess any weakness. Don't embarrass yourself. Keep it a secret. Don't go for counseling. Sin always hides. Consider and realize you're in denial. You always underestimate the power of sin in your life. Always. And some of you, when you get criticism, you're quick to find ways to write it off. Uh, So you say, that's exaggerated. Or it's partly false, kind of like like a Facebook fact checker. (laughs) You know, if one little thing is wrong, we can can label it partly false. (laughs) Or maybe the motives of the person bringing the criticism are bad. Or maybe they're guilty themselves of similar sins. You say, well, consider the source. So you find all sorts of ways to write it off, to dismiss it, uh, to minimize it, to not take criticism seriously. What you ought to say is that I know that the heart of sin is denial, and my default mode is to deny. So even if the criticism is exaggerated uh, or partly false, or the person had bad motives, or the person is seriously flawed themselves, you need nonetheless to ask yourself, is God trying to tell me something through this person? Because I know by nature that I tend to deny things, things that are really wrong with me. So let's be more open and receptive and humble when it comes to receiving criticism. Let's not be so knee-jerk defensive and so easily offended. So on the overhead, number 1 sin is denial. Number 2, the heart of sin is the lack of the fear of God. Jeremiah 2:19 again, consider and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and what? And have no awe of me declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. So the overhead, this is the essence of sin. No awe of God. And the next, okay, I'm sorry, you got that already. So sins, plural, uh, are breaking God's laws. Uh, yes, that, that's what sins uh, are. Uh, but sin is a disposition. It's an attitude of your heart. It's a it's posture. And here through Jeremiah, God's saying, the heart of why you forsake me, the heart of why you sin, the reason why you break my laws is this no awe no fear of the lord you have no awe of me now this translation says you have no awe of me the actual hebrew actually says you have no fear of me on the overhead one of the central themes of the bible is the fear of the lord and and that's what god is saying is the essence of sin you do not fear the fear god so for example the lord says in leviticus 10 3 by those who come near me i must be regarded as holy and before all the people I must be glorified. Our problem is that we have lost a healthy biblical fear of the Lord today. So in this era of Yom Kippur, I wanna challenge you, if you've treated what God calls holy as common, if you've lived with an irreverent attitude toward the things of God, and if the Holy Spirit is convicting you tonight through his word, I urge you to repent of your casual, lukewarm attitude towards the Lord and His commands and His priority claim on your life. James 4:8 says, "Draw nearer to God, and He'll draw near to you." Psalm 5:7, David says, "In fear of you, I'll worship towards your holy temple." All true worship is anchored in reverence for His holy presence. Psalm 89, verse seven. God is greatly to be feared. In the, in the assembly of the saints, and they be held in reverence by all those around him. So let's be honest, if we really gave the Lord uh, the honor and reverence he deserves, we would instantly obey him. But all too often, with our lips we honor him, but our fear toward him is, is merely uh, taught by the commandments of men. And this is because we filter God's words uh, and his commands through the lens of our own uh, cultural thinking. Uh, our image of the glory of God, uh, it's formed by our own limited perceptions rather than being formed by the living word of God. In the Bible, the word fear is used in two different ways. First John 4 talks about a fear that has torment. Uh, one definition of fear is anticipation of pain. You get fixed on, on what's going to happen to you. Uh, and when you're in the grip of, of, of fear, you're focused on, on, on what's coming and, and everything else is done in reference to that fear. So, for example, let's say you're sitting in your den and you see a spider. And you're just gripped by fear. And you can't do anything without first dealing with it. It dominates everything, so you've got to deal with it. You can't sit there and read or watch TV or drink your coffee. You've got to deal with it. Because that's what fear does. Uh, Fear absorbs you. Uh, It obsesses you with an object, so you can't uh, can't do anything except with reference to it. The Bible also talks about a different kind of fear. Uh, Proverbs 28 14 says, Happy is the one who fears always. Psalm 130, verse 4 it says, Because you've forgiven my sins, I fear you. Interesting. These passages are telling us that there is, uh, when it comes to God, something the Bible calls fear. That's a positive fear, not a negative fear, because it refers to an inward awe of God. It's an inward condition of delight. In the magnitude of who he is. And this positive fear has no torment. It's on the overhead. Uh, In negative fear, you're totally absorbed in yourself. Uh, In positive fear, uh, you're blessedly free from thinking about yourself. In negative fear, you're paralyzed. In positive fear, you're empowered. But here's what they both have in common. The fear of God means he is absolutely central. You can do nothing without reference to him. No matter what you do, you say, how does this involve God? Uh, How does this affect uh, my relationship with him? How does this relate to the Lord? Because you see the magnitude of who he is uh, and the greatness of who he is, and now he's absolutely central in your life, and there's nothing you can do or think without reference to his glory and his greatness and his power and his love. It's the overhead. Now God says, our lack of awe is the essence of our sin. We have no awe of him. Because this gets beneath all the individual violations to sin itself. So in the overhead, sins, when you lie, uh, when you're selfish, uh, when you're cruel, that's violating God's law. But God says, why? Why do you do this? Uh, Why do you disobey? Why are you cruel? Uh, Why do you lie? Why? And the answer is this. Whenever you sin in a particular way, at that point, you're holding something in more awe than God. At the moment you sin, you're finding something more wonderful than God. Something more fulfilling than God. Something more important than God. Something more more captivating than God. Something more awesome than, than God. And that's why you sin. Do you see that? That's the underlying core and cause of your sin. Do you see, therefore, there could be no way uh, that there could be any halfway measures when it comes to God. God says the essence of sin is when you have an attitude or when you make choices where I'm not smack dab in the middle of your life, smack dab in the center of your thoughts. You can't be just a little religious or a little moral or, or a little obedient and be honoring God or his holiness. You can't have a God who's just there at certain times, uh, like when, you, when you're here at shul or, or when you're around other believers. You can't have a God who's just a, a little extra boost in your life, kind of like a vitamin pill. We serve the God who created the heavens and the earth and upholds it all by the word of his power. So how can you ask a God like that to be in your life only at times? To treat him like he's some kind of servant to be called, called upon at your beck and call as your personal assistant or life coach, as your divine sugar daddy. <laughs> this is why the essence of sin is denial. You're out of touch with reality of who God is. And unless you relate to him with complete and unconditional and utter devotion, you're not giving him the awe and reverence that he deserves. Look at Romans 12:1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is what the Lord requires as we come to Him tonight on Arab Yom Kippur. Yeshua must be central in your life. You must treat him as holy and everything else in reference to him. The Lord says to us, You're forsaking me, the fountain of living waters, when you have no awe of me. And this lack of the awe of God is that only Uh, the cause of our own personal personal problems, but it's also the cause of our intellectual problems as well. For example, God says in Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So unless the Lord is at the very center of your intellectual thought pattern and your worldview, you're not thinking right, you lack wisdom and knowledge. Again, the Lord says, Jeremiah 2.19, See how evil and bitter it is when you forsake me, the Lord your God, And have not awe of me. So in the overhead, number one, all your personal problems come because God's not central in your life. Number two, all your intellectual problems come because God's not central in your thoughts, and your thinking. And number three, all your self-control problems come because God's not central in your heart. Are you having trouble with worry? Are you having trouble with self-pity? Are you having trouble with guilt? Are you having trouble with an addiction? Are you having trouble resisting temptation? Are you you having trouble with bitterness or, or forgiveness? Whatever you're having trouble with, see it in these terms. So, for example, when you worry, you're more in awe of the power of some outside factor than you are of God. When you despair and when you wallow in guilt, you're more in awe of the power of sin than you are in the power of God's grace in Yeshua. When you're in self-pity, uh, you're more in awe of, of, of some benefit you've lost than you are of his mercy and goodness. When you think everything is going wrong in your life, you're more in awe of your own wisdom than you are of his wisdom. In all these ways, you're acting as if your old man is still in control of your life. You're acting actually like Norman in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Remember that movie? Some of you have probably seen this. Norman is the main character and he's totally messed up because he grew up as a completely dependent on this domineering, evil, vicious, wicked, manipulative mother. Tyrannized his life. She dies, but Norman doesn't know how to live without her. He's always been in control all his life by his mother and he doesn't know how to live without that control. So he takes her corpse and he props it up in a room And in his twisted mind, he treats her as if she's still alive and if she's still controlling him. He talks to her, uh, and in his mind, she talks back to him. (laughs) And he keeps doing all these evil things because he thinks that she's telling him to do it. And that's what you and I are like when we allow our old self to continue to influence and control us. But if you're truly in Messiah Yeshua, your old self... Your carnal self is dead. But we keep in on investing it with authority. We keep it in a closet in our brain. (laughs) And we let it keep speaking to us. And let it keep controlling us. But the scriptures say this in Ephesians 4.22. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. uh, And be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self created to to, uh, be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then Colossians 3, verse 5, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in life, the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things like this, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed uh, in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Amen. Do you know what you need tonight? You need the fear of the Lord. That's why the psalmist says the fear of the Lord is clean. It's clean. Uh, There's nothing that cleanses you like the fear of God. When you read the Bible, it's not just to get information. When you come to shul, it's not for groovy feelings. <laughs> it's to see the Lord, to experience the Lord, to be convicted and changed by his spirit, to worship Yeshua for his atonement and redemption and rescue, to thank God based on the finished work of Messiah, for he's adopted you into his family if you're in him. On this era of Yom Kippur, we need the fear of the Lord. We need the awe of God. We need to cry out, Lord, open my eyes so I can see your awesomeness. Because your worries fade away when you see him as more awesome than any other factor in your life. Your guilt is gone when you see that his grace is more awesome than any sin in your life. Your self-pity is gone when you see that his mercy and his goodness is more awesome than any missing factor in your life. Your anger is gone. When you see that God's wisdom is more awesome than any of your little, own little agendas for your life. You need more of him than anything else. We need to see him. We need to cry out, Holy Spirit, magnify the Lord in my life and in my heart. Let his glories be made known. We need to wrestle with the Lord until you see him. The Bible says you can have access to him through the blood of Yeshua. So whatever problem or your or sin you're struggling with tonight it can be cleaned through repentance and the fear of god whoever defiled you are the blood of yeshua our yom kippur scapegoat our yom kippur sin and guilt offering can cleanse you he can cleanse you if you go to him and say it's been evil and bitter for me uh, i've denied you uh, indeed uh, or, or in word i have denied your centrality i repent." I repent on this Yom Kippur, I turn from my sin, I turn from myself, I turn to you, Lord Yeshua. And if you think you're too wicked or too evil uh, to do this, and the Lord, the Lord would never receive you, here's the one thing you're not in awe of enough, his grace, his amazing, awesome grace. Jeremiah 2.6, the Lord faults to people for not asking, where's the Lord who brought us out of Egypt? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, think about me. Uh, Do you know why you don't obey me? Do you know why you don't make me central? You don't trust my love. You don't trust my grace. He's saying, remember the Exodus, think about it. Uh, I didn't give you the law in Egypt uh, and then say, you obey and then I'll bring you out. No, I brought you out first and then I gave you my law because I'm a God of grace. So why are you afraid to make me central in your life tonight? It's because in your carnal mind, you think, oh, I'll lose my freedom or I'll lose control over my life. Uh, You don't trust him and you think you'll lose your joy. You say to yourself, I won't be free. I won't have my options anymore. You say, if I obey God and make him central, I'll be limited in some way. But the Lord says, why don't you instead say, where is that gracious God who brought me and my people up from Egypt? Unless you're in awe of his grace, you will not truly make him central in your life. You can't just say, I should stop sinning or God will get me. Rather, you should say, I should stop sinning because here's the gracious God who redeemed me. Here's the gracious God who brought me out of the house of slavery uh, and the shackles of bondage and the kingdom of darkness. So if you go to him tonight and confess, Lord Yeshua, I've been living in denial, denial of my sin, denial of of your centrality in my life, Uh, And I repent, if you do that, he will respond in mercy and love and grace. He's the one who brought you up of your own personal Egypt uh, from whatever gods and idols uh, and lusts you were enslaved to. And he'll say, for those who come to me through the blood of the lamb, Yeshua, I am a gracious God. Of course I'll take you back. I sent my son, I sent my son to live the life you should have lived and to die the death you deserved to die. That's how I bring my people up out of Egypt. That's how I redeem and receive you. Consider and realize, the Lord says, that it's evil and bitter of you if you're not in awe of my grace and mercy. So on this era of Yom Kippur, I want to end uh, with a call to repentance. Repentance, metanoia uh, in the Greek, teshuvah in the Hebrew, it means to Turn around. Uh, to uh, literally a, an about-face. Uh, you were traveling in one direction, you stop, you turn around, you start moving in the opposite direction, and you return back to God. In the first century, the word metanoia it was actually a military term. Uh, an army would be marching along, and the drill sergeant, or the equivalent, uh, would holler out, metanoia. Everybody would turn around and start marching the other way. It's like in the U.S. Army. When a person in charge hollers about face, everybody turns and starts marching in the other direction. To repent means to turn around uh, and to go the opposite way. I'm not not, not at that slide yet. So turn around and go the opposite way. I'll tell you what, I'm on the slides. Uh, It means to turn around and go the opposite way. Metanoia, teshuva. So the Roman or the Greek officer would in essence yell, repent. Everybody would turn around and go the other way. That's what repentance is. It's like the cadence they sing in the U.S. Army. Left, right, left, right. From east to west, U.S. Army is the best. About face, repent. (laughs) On the overhead now. Biblically, to repent, it means to leave and to cleave. To leave sin, totally. To cleave to the Lord, totally. You repent of the way you're used to live. And you cleave to a new way of life. You do a metanoia. You do a teshuvah A 180 degree turn. You renounce your former way of life and you commit to living for the Lord. Uh, I was going one way uh, as the Lord of my own life, calling my own shots. But then there was this, this metanoia, this teshuvah, this repentance. And now I'm letting Yeshua call the shots. Now he's Lord of my life. So I do an about face. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Through his power, I put off the old man and I put on the new man. I would do my own pleasures, my own thing living the life for me. But Yeshua calls me and says, follow me. And I do a metanoia, I do a teshuvah, an about face. I repent, and now I live for Yeshua. I live to please him, not myself. I live for his kingdom, not mine. You're marching marching down this path of greed, uh, and immorality, and anger, and and self-centeredness, and pride. And now Yeshua encounters you uh, and confronts you And transforms you. And you bring your thought life and your speech uh, and your sex life and your goals and your priorities into obedience to Messiah. And you treat your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, which it is if you're abiding in him. You show your newness of life in the Lord by bringing forth the fruits of repentance. It's a complete 180. It's a turning around. That, by the way, is the missing element of the gospel today. The gospel is repent and believe on the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. That's the gospel Yeshua preached. Uh, that's the gospel we must return to on this era of Yom Kippur. This is what starts the whole redemption process. You must turn around. You must do an about face. What, whatever in your life does not line up with the word of God. You must repent. That is the Lord's word for us tonight on this holiest day of the year, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. The traditional reading for Yom Kippur is the Book of Jonah. Why? Because the Lord's message through, through Jonah to Nineveh was to repent. Nineveh repents; they're spared, and God relents of His judgment, because repentance unleashes God's mercy and grace. Yeshua tells the story of the Tower of Salome, uh, which fell, killed eighteen people, and He tells His Jewish audience this in Luke thirteen four. He says, do you think those 18 people were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Yeshua's message to Israel in the first century, his message to us tonight is from Mark 1.15. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that look like? Looks like Luke 9.23 tells us, that Yeshua said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross daily, and follow me." That's the fruit of repentance. So on this era of Kippur, I want to exhort you in Yeshua's name to make a complete break with the world, to do a complete 180, to die to your flesh, uh, to repent of your independence and your rebellious attitude, to leave your sin behind, and to enter newness of life for the blood atonement of Yeshua by these three things, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. Amen. Let's stand and pray. And let the music team to come on up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, tonight on this Yom Kippur, help me to consider and to realize my sin. Remove the blinders from me, Lord, and open my eyes so that I can see myself as you see me, so I can see my own faults and rebellion and transgression, my own hard-heartedness and self-centeredness, And to stop, help me, Lord, to stop stop minimizing my own guilt and living in denial. Lord, I confess of this Yom Kippur that my sin hides in the dark. And I grossly underestimate the power and the presence of sin in my life. So Yeshua confront me tonight with my sin. So that I can no longer live in denial. Holy Spirit, I ask you to pierce through the shadow of darkness and deceit uh, and self-denial of my sin. Lord, I confess my sin, I denounce it, I repent and I turn from it. Uh, I turn from myself and my self-centeredness and I turn fully and wholly to you. And Lord, I especially repent of my lack of proper fear of you. I confess that this is the root of all my sin. So Lord, restore to me tonight proper awe and fear and reverence and respect for you, Yeshua. Yeshua, I make you absolutely central in my life I confess you are holy, make me holy, Lord. Lord, help me to relate to you with complete and unconditional and utter devotion Uh, to confront the sin underneath all my sins, my failure to fear you, to fear you, Lord, my failure to present myself as a living sacrifice to you, Lord, which you tell us is my reasonable service. So Lord, tonight, help me put off my old self and do a complete 180, Lord, put on the new self. Help me to live in fear and awe and reverence of you, my holy Yom Kippur atonement. And I pray this in your name, Yeshua. Amen. Absam.